We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you. Join us in Mixing Business with Pleasure, a podcast about loving your work and working with your love. Your hosts, Mike and Gabby, are entrepreneurs who have found their passion in both their personal and professional relationship. The pair who swore never to work with each other are now working happily together side by side in love, life, and business. Tune in each week as we feature co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. Welcome back to the Mixing Business with Pleasure podcast, the show all about loving your work and working with your love. If this is your first time joining us, we're thrilled you found us. And if you're one of our longtime listeners, thank you for tuning in. Today's guests, Mike and Alyssa Kading, are married entrepreneurs who run a thriving apartment management company in, in Minnesota. They are also parents to two beautiful young daughters, one of them born during the pandemic. Mike and Alyssa have some great insight into what it's like working together inheriting the family business from Mike's parents, and growing as entrepreneurs, as well as growing a company and a family at the same time. Their business, Norhart, has grown over 500% in the last decade, and we know you're going to gain some valuable tips as we dive into the secrets to their success. As business owners, they really value giving back to their community as a way to honor Mike's father, the original founder of the company. In addition, Norhart has been recognized as being one of the first apartment complexes in Minnesota to provide smart apartments to its tenants. Mike and Alyssa's ultimate goal in all they do is to create a better way for people to live. As a side note, we do want to mention that unfortunately the audio quality on this episode isn't the best. However, the content of the episode sure is. So sit back and enjoy the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, we've got Mike and Alyssa Kading with us today. They are the owners of Norhart. They manage a number of properties here in Minnesota. And guys, welcome to Mixing Business with Pleasure. We're glad to have you. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So we like to start off the conversation, just kind of get our creative juices flowing. We ask all our guests the same question. And I love these answers because we get so many, very wide variety of them. And uh, we've noticed that what you say in the beginning somehow ends up becoming a thread throughout the whole conversation. Whether that's intentional or not, we always get some great answers. So work and love are four-letter words, and they're the premise of our call today, work and love. So we'd like to ask you guys, what are your favorite four-letter words? You know, for me, it's probably life. You know, life is so short. We only have so many minutes in this life. And to be able to use them to the best of our ability to make the biggest positive impact that we can in this world. For me, just the chance of having this life is pretty amazing. I love that. Are you very strict on the four letter? <laughs> well, since you we're actually not. Since you ask, <laughs> we're not really. It can be a three letter, it can be a five letter, but let's just say three to five letter a word. Okay, that I can do. Um, I think joy. Because joy is so often a choice that we have to make. And not always a easy one. I love both your words. Joy and life, those are beautiful words. And those are words that I think are ones that we can all appreciate and, and spend a little bit more time reflecting on that, especially, you know, this year, 2020. Let's not even get started about that. But thank you for sharing with us these beautiful words. And I look forward to seeing how they end up becoming themes for this conversation. Our next question is, what came first, business or love? Actually, love, but before that, uh, friendship. Oh, okay. So tell us 
tell us a little bit about your friendship and love story and then into the business side of it after. Sure, I guess I'll start. I'll let Mike kind of go for it from there. Uh, we actually met in fourth grade, um, Columbus Elementary up in the northern suburbs of the country. We knew each other through elementary and junior high. We were both kind of the academic types, so we were all in the advanced type classes together. But probably weren't really good friends until high school. And then had a similar group of friends. I drove a carpool, Mike was in. I was dating someone else at the time. Yeah, <laughs> Mike was dating other people. I was always kind of like tedious. I heard boys with trouble, so I tried to stick to my path and studies. And uh, I was a ballet dancer also. But then for college, kind of went our separate ways. Mike stayed in Minnesota. I went to Michigan for school. And we ended up reconnecting. Uh, right before our senior year of college. And she uh, really won me over. She brought me on a trip to go tour Google. And that was the magic for me right there. <laughs> so she had you at Google. That was that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's actually kind of a, a funny story. My uh, grandmother, my mom grew up in the Silicon Valley. So her family at that time was all still out there. And my grandmother lived lived in Los Altos, right, right by Google. And she had connections in the uh, young Asian mom's Bible study. She was not young or Asian, but she had helped lead this uh, Bible study. And one of the young mothers, her husband worked at Google, so he got us in to go visit. Wow. Um, and I, I was pretty close with my grandmother, so I went to go see her on different breaks and holidays as I could. And Mike came with me. We weren't officially dating at the time, but that, I guess, tipped <laughs> <laughs> that was That was the beginning of it. So that trip to Google, awesome. Well, I am very fascinated by the fact that you guys have known each other for so long. You grew up in the same area, um, but really your love story didn't blossom until much later, which is, which is fantastic. And we also know that, Mike, from your side, from your perspective, you grew up with parents that that owned a business together that were mixing business with pleasure. So you grew up, you know, in in sort of a family business. But it sounds like from some of the information that you shared with us and what we've been able to find out is that you did not want to have anything to do with the family business. You mentioned getting a tour of Google and that's where I did it for you. I believe you were a computer science major, right? How did you end up going from being a computer science major to working in the family business and construction and real estate? I had a degree in computer science, but ended up being a minor in mathematics and management. And during my studies, I kind of started to find business really interesting. And deep down, I've always wanted to do something that makes some meaningful, positive impact in the world. And so to take something small and to go through something much larger. And uh, after college, my dad really wanted me to drive the family business, and he was really passionate about having me be a part of it. But I didn't want anything with to do with it. And the reason I didn't want anything to do with it is I didn't want people to think that it was given to me. And this was kind of really tough for me to get over my own ego, and to realize the opportunity that was in front of me uh, to take this small business and to make it something, introduce something much larger. And... Uh, so that's what we did. I joined in, and over the course of three or four years, my dad and I doubled the size of the business, and that was exciting. And then, uh, as soon as we so really, really quick, did you did you join right out of college, or did you go work somewhere else first and then join the family business? I worked with a bunch of smaller companies. Uh, one was Fruit Share that delivered fruit right to your home. Another was Cube Maze, a little uh, cube making puzzle maze thing. And he, a few he had about like five jobs for a while. <laughs> Just kind of feeling out each one, if you will. Which one you you wanted to go to the teach for Yeah, I tried that. I well, since I went to school in Michigan, most of my contacts were in Michigan, and I had some contacts out east for job leads. But um, I decided to move back to Minnesota because Mike was here without any job leads. So maybe not my best economics decision as an econ major. However. Ended up working out. Um, I kind of sought different opportunities and nothing quite stuck. And then I always joked that Ed, uh, my dad, tricked me. <laughs> he kind of said, uh, oh, Alyssa, you're kind of into, you know, politics in the sense of like 
getting government and business to work together. And he was having difficulty getting his new project approved. And so that was kind of his angle. He's like, why don't you come help me do this while you're looking? And so I said, okay. I'm kind of thinking it would be a little gig. And so we are 12 years later. So Alyssa, did you start working in the company before Mike that you officially joined your dad's company or was it more or less around the same time? It was more or less around the same time. And I had worked a little bit the summer prior um, to graduating from college. The job that I had in town here, just it was a little deli shop, just kind of closed abruptly. And there was still like a month left of summer and I literally worked like a dog all summer. So I had money to support myself at school. And so I ended up working with Ed and Mike just that last for like a month doing roofing and some other odd tasks that people would probably look at me and think, really? That's how I did. <laughs> but it was a little while you were, you were eating nothing but peanut butter and part of that time or something? Yeah, it always got a little uh, thin at the end of the semester. <laughs> oh. At school until I, you know, sold my books for that semester and that was my gas money home. So. Oh my goodness. So let me get, let me just get the timeline straight here. So Mike, you had already graduated college. Is that correct? And Alyssa, you were still in school? We graduated the we same graduated time. Oh, okay. You graduated at the same time. And then Mike, you had worked a couple odds and end job just kind of here and there. Alyssa, you were in Michigan, but you decided to move back to Minnesota and then Ed, Mike, your dad, kind of convinced both of you to work in the family business. Now, were you guys engaged or were you were you married? Were you just dating? What was the situation at that point? Um, by the time we graduated from college, we were dating. Yeah, we got engaged the following fall and married the next spring. And so we got married a year after we graduated from college. Okay, so your dad, Mike, really had some strong foresight because not only did he convince you, which you were kind of saying, hey, I want nothing to do with this business, he convinced your girlfriend at the time, who was soon to later to become your wife, to, to join this business, which he and your mom started. So he really had some foresight. I want to dig into that. You know, there we've had a number of couples on the show at this point, and a number of them have, you know, started working together pretty early on. But I don't think we've had anybody that, you know, was out of college, just dating still, and then start working together. Were there challenges? Did it help prepare you for what, you know, the rest of your life was going to be like? I'd love to dig into that a little bit. Not initially, but after we kind of got the project approved, when I kind of felt like that's where my, my time would end I kind of wasn't sure if this is what I wanted to do so that was just my own like figuring out like I want to do this is it the right move because Mike and Ed have this way of kind of like throwing you in the deep end and being like hey you're smart we'll figure it out so that can be over very overwhelming especially when you're kind of faced with tasks you don't know what to do I did figure out most of them but not without you know making some mistakes yeah we had a point a couple years in where we both were pretty certain we were going to go do something else because Mike applied to business school. So that would have been very, very different for our lives. I'll go back to the, the original question. And it's kind of interesting because in general, I think it's been a pretty good relationship working together, but I can be very intense and overbearing. And Alyssa is super nice and caring and so that's been kind of a challenge to kind of like, well you're you're nice too mike i think I, <laughs> don't sell yourself short <laughs> yeah it's been kind of a, a challenge to learn that and kind of wrestle through some of those things and kind of be honest about ourselves it's kind of an interesting journey you go on you start off with kind of half knowing that you may have some of these quirks about yourself and you hope nobody else really knows and then there comes a point you realize that everybody knows <laughs> and then you need to kind of be open and honest about that to the point that you can get to a, a point of joking about it and be open and transparent about it. And nobody knows more of those quirks than your significant other. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious from each of your perspectives, sort of, how did you get through that? Because it sounds like it wasn't easy, right, From for either of you necessarily. And it's family dynamics. There's a business dynamics. There's the, hey, we're not even married yet kind of thing. 
talk through that. Like what we're and I will add a quick point that both your mom and dad, Mike, were working in the business, correct? So you have your mom and dad. Now it's you and your girlfriend. So what was that dynamic like? Was it hard to separate sort of the family from the work? And what strategies did you guys do to ensure that your relationship, not yet solidified with a ring, would get to that point? You know, it's probably one area that I certainly don't do very well, which is that work-life balance. My, <laughs> <laughs> I have zero poker face. Alyssa's oh. shaking her head for those who are listening. This is an area we're still working on. <laughs> well, uh, you... You, you've come to the right place because I think a lot of our couples here and including Mike and I, we struggle with work-life balance too. And I think that it's, it's a work in progress, really. My uh, at, uh, family dinners, they would always devolve into work conversations with my parents. And that always frustrated my mom. Yeah, Brenda was always like, just eat your food. <laughs> not talking about the business right now. <laughs> But then they would say, don't talk about the business. And then we'd all be silent. So <laughs> it's a bit of a struggle in that way. Yeah. And Mike's mom has always been very involved, but um, she was actually a, a special ed teacher. So she helped heavily in the summers and we needed the extra help when she was off school. But she did also have a little something else to talk about. So maybe, she, you know, I think she would have appreciated talking more about like other areas of life and not just apartments and the watershed district and the city council. How did how did this affect your relationship, you know, being boyfriend and girlfriend? You know, you reconnected after all these years and now all of a sudden you're both working together. Alyssa, you alluded alluded to the fact that there was a point where you both said, yeah, we're not going to do this long term. What was sort of the thought process behind that? Uh, I think it's what we kind of, what I mentioned earlier, uh, Mike wanted to go to business school, get his MBA, and I wasn't sure I was capable of doing the job, but I wasn't sure that I, I loved it. Um, and that was the second, I guess, moment I'm talking about was a few years in after we were already married. And I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was that, well. I remember having a conversation about it one night, saying, like, is this really what we want to do with the rest of our lives? And after a little while, we eventually came to the decisions where we wanted to be. Yeah. So th this is an interesting point because you've come full circle, right? You met at an early point in life. You reconnected. You guys start a relationship. You enter into the family business. But you're both thinking, ooh, you know what? I'm not so sure. Maybe we'll give it a try. You get married. You start your relationship. But then something catastrophic happened that, and you tell me if this is a fair assessment, that sort of solidified your position to want to continue working in the family business. Is that is that accurate? And then Mike, can you share a little bit about that moment with us? Yeah, I would say that our desire to stay in the family business was solidified before this event. But this event really hammered at home. This is where we're going to do the rest of our lives. And that is that um, one day I got a call from a banker and the banker said, Hey, one of your checks is bounced. And none of our checks have ever bounced the entire time I've been here. What's going on? And it turns out my dad had written a check out of his account that he was never writing money out of. What's going on there? We went back to see him that night. And it was really clear that something wasn't right in his mind. He wasn't pulling sentences the way he normally does. And we uh, went back with my mom um, that night at home and just kind of watched him. And the next morning I came, or my mom called me and said something was really not right. I came running back to my house and uh, my dad was just not my dad. Uh, we did that little test where he held up his arms and he couldn't hold up his arms properly. And uh, he said, we need to go to the hospital right now. And he refused and I just, I, I, I rarely cry in my life, but I just burst out in tears in that moment. And that was enough to get him to go. And it turned out he had a major stroke that was caused by a brain tumor. And, uh, Which yeah. we didn't know he had. Yeah. And so by the end of that night, uh, he wasn't the same person anymore. And then it, um, he had to be in kind of like intensive care. And uh, in six months, then he passed away. Wow. 
Well, I'm so sorry for that. And thank you for sharing that story. My dad had a stroke as well, but he was in his 50s. And I will never forget that moment of the realization that something was not right. Because as children, I mean, we're not children, we're adults, but growing up, I always looked at my dad as sort of this impenetrable force, this man who could not be shaken, you know, and then you see your parents go through a major health crisis and it really just shakes you to the core. So I can certainly relate to that. And I know Mike also, his his dad went through a, a pretty serious health scare. So we can absolutely relate to that. I know a lot of our listeners out there that are our age, that have parents that are in their 60s and 70s at this point can also relate to that. So your dad, unfortunately, was very sick, was very ill, unbeknownst to the family. It happened sort of very quickly. During this time, obviously, there's a family crisis. You guys are probably rallying around your mom, rallying around each other, trying to support your dad. What was going on with the business and what was kind of going through your head at the time in terms of how do we balance this? How do we make this all work? This is probably the worst period of my life because I'm literally overnight. Now I'm going on running the business. Literally overnight. Was was there a uh, succession plan in place already, or was this totally like, oh crap, what do we do? It was more of a, you know, shoot, what do we do? He was still, you know, doing a lot of money and the loans, and so all of a sudden we were like, we have a payroll. How do we how do we pay people? We don't have to pay that. And uh, my dad's credit, he he had been handing the business more or less over to me over time, but there were definitely elements that we hadn't taken over control and management. And we had a major project in uh, a 112-unit apartment project that we were getting approved through the city council at this time. And uh, that project was not going well. And it was, uh, it was really, really rough for the committee sleepless I think to kind of work through how to get through that. Because I think they looked at us and probably to a degree, rightly so, which is I mean, if we kids actually get this major project off the ground and built and in running in the city well. Yeah, we had lost our face of wisdom in that. Well, they just looked at us like, you guys are like, how old are we? We're 33 now, this is a while ago, but guys are in your 20s, what are you doing? What does it take to get a 112 unit apartment building project off the ground? Like, what does that entail? Years of work. <laughs> One to two years, yeah. It, you have to go develop all the plans. You have a pack of paperwork that's pretty massive. You submit it to the city, the city, there's a review process of the city. You need to go to the planning commission, which is basically bringing all the neighbors together. And uh, neighbors never like new projects. So then you're upset with all these points and you're meeting with neighbors in the neighborhood to try to convince them to actually let us build the project. We actually got denied at the planning commission. We're going to go back to the drawing board and resubmit. And then we went through, then you have to go to the city council and the city council either votes favorably for it or not favorably but it's a lot of meeting with politicians and trying to convince them it's the right project and, and neighbors they were really uncertain we didn't we didn't initially we did not have staff support and that was not not good <laughs> how, how big was the company at the time like how many employees were there was it just you two and then contractors and whatnot about 20 or so employees at that time and j- just for perspective how many employees do you guys have now 70. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So this was a a very pivotal part of your lives. How how many years ago was this? Was this like a couple years ago now? And passed in January of 2015. 2015. So five years ago. July of 2014. So. Okay. Okay. It is not fair when people that we love pass unexpectedly and so unfairly. That is truly a loss to you and a loss to Norhart, the company that your father built. But I know, Mike, that looking at some of the work that you've done and and the videos and, and what you've put out there since your dad's untimely passing, you have really solidified his memory and his 
legacy. And so I want to talk about not at all to minimize the pain that you both have gone through and that your family has gone through, but I'd like to, if, with your permission, let's talk about some of the really wonderful things that you have done. Because from what we understand, what you're doing at Norhart is kind of cutting edge. You're doing things that a lot of apartment complexes are not doing, or if they're doing, it's for very, very high end, very luxury to the point where it's unaffordable for the average person. But you guys, your values and the culture that you bring to Norhart is really inspiring. And I think that that story is one that I'd love to focus on. And I think that also our listeners will be able to get a lot of really wonderful advice and wonderful perspective from you guys. So let's talk about where Norhart is today and what are some of these awesome things that you guys are doing? On a deep level, our purpose and the reason why we exist is to create a better way for people to live. And that's the heart behind everything that we do. It really is. We have a mission, which is to build and manage quality apartments. Then we have our values, which describe the kind of people that are here, and then we have our strategies that we execute on and actually achieve some things that hopefully pushing the whole industry forward. And so one of those that people often like to hear about is the technology. In fact, 10% of our staff are software developers, which seem a little bit odd for a property management company, but when we dug into the technology that was out there for apartments, it just wasn't very good. And we don't have to do a great job at it to make it build this infrastructure itself. Probably the most important lesson that we've been learning is about the importance of building that right culture. And foundationally to that is building the right team. You know, my dad passed away recognizing my own weaknesses and starting to realize that if we do this and do it well, we have to have amazing people. That kind of sparked this journey of how do we fight to be best in the world at what we're doing? And if we're thinking about being best in the world, how do we pull people across the entire world to come and work with us to be best in every little niche that we're pitching in that company? And so that's just been an adventure. So I'd love to dig into that a lot more, actually. So it's very clear just based on how you're describing and you know where the business came from before you, et cetera, that you know, that mission and the culture are very much central. From our experience, Gabby and I have our own business and whatnot, and we, you know, we know a lot of other entrepreneurs, I think. What you generally find is, especially when entrepreneurs are starting out, what they struggle with, it's hard enough to find your why, but it's extremely difficult and where I think most go wrong at one point or another is operationalizing that why. It seems like you guys have really got that down. So I'd, I'd love to talk about how did you do that? What was the process for creating that operational plan for the, for the mission and the vision? And what would you recommend based on the mistakes maybe you made doing going through that process for others that are starting out yeah well this it could be a whole book written on this it's been a lot of little changes over time to get us to where we're at today but i would say number one is you need to know your purpose your mission your values your strategy your goals and then we have another section we call habits and so one of the ways we kind of make that real for everyone at the company is the onboarding process there. We go through all of that information that comes right from me. We spend an hour, hour and a half together with everything we hire. And then uh, the things like little cues, like in our office, right over there in the other room, we have our purpose and mission and values are written up on the walls in a way that are, are very plain to everyone who walks in the room. But then there's a lot of little things, like how do you inspire reminders for it? Like we have uh, shout outs. And so, People can put shout outs on our board. And uh, those are things that other people do well and can be associated with specific value. We have the Norhart Insider, which is a, uh, an email that I get sent out for me every month. Each team will actually go through that whole structure I talked about purpose, mission, values, strategies, and goals, and actually see if they can kind of remind people what those are. But I think fundamentally, it's about how we're making decisions. And so when decisions come up, we ask ourselves, okay, is this decision in line with our purpose and mission and value? And those, there's just a lot of little things constantly being done to reinforce those principles throughout the organization. That's awesome. I want to reiterate something that you mentioned. So you said purpose, mission, vision, values, 
goals, and then you said habits. Is, am I getting that correctly? Purpose, life, mission, which is what we do, values, which is who we are, strategies is how we accomplish that, goals is where we want to be and by when, and the last one is habits. So is this a framework that you developed or how did you take this framework and, and, and bring this into the company? I was going to speak to that um, going back. So we developed all these because we went through a process called EOS, entrepreneurial operating system based on a book called Traction and something else. But we started that, I believe it was the beginning of 2016. So we had had a year of just being like, tired and run down and overworked and not always getting the results we wanted. So we decided to uh, get an EOS implementer, which is an outside person who works with you to go through all this stuff to set you on a good path. And then you meet with them every quarter. And so we worked with an EOS implementer for almost three years. We just recently started self-implementing, they call it, where you still have the meetings and you still have the structure, but you run it on your own versus bringing in an outside person. So were, were you were you looking to kind of transition to EOS prior to bringing on the implementer and you weren't being successful? Or when you decided to do it, that's when you brought in the implementer? Can I just give a little bit more context to this first? If you back up just a little step, one of the things that we're fighting to do again is be best in the world. And so we go out there and we look for people doing different things, little niches like marketing, revenue management, construction management, property management, even uh, overall business management like EOS. And we'd say, okay, who's doing the best in the world? Can we pull that in? So EOS is a part of that. But I would actually say that the purpose, mission, and values fundamentally didn't come from EOS. It actually came from a meeting that I had with a guy named Dale Peterson. Have you guys heard of Eagle Dog Trench? Um, I think I've heard of it, yes. Kind of ignoring the religious aspect, just the fact that they've had a tremendous amount of success. They're one of the largest churches in the entire country. And uh, Dale Peterson was the lead strategic thinker behind that organization. And I remember one day, just happened to get a chance to have lunch with him. I sat down with him. He was like, how are you doing all this? And he looked at me and he said, Mike, what is your purpose? Well, that's obvious. I, you build apartments and you rent them to people. Like, no, Mike. No, perfect. That's your mission. That's what you do. What really is your purpose? Why do you get up in the morning? And for me, that was the start of this journey of what does this actually look like? I think that's amazing. The one thing I'd love to call out is I think a lot of people sort of get stuck in, oh, who do I ask advice from? Well, I got to go to other property managers or I need to go to other people in the real estate space because clearly they know what they're doing. But I think some of the most successful entrepreneurs are able to take lessons from something completely outside of their main business and apply those concepts to what they're doing. I think that's where real success gets made. I think that's something I just want to make sure to point out because that's extremely important. I, I agree with everything you said, Mike, and what you said, Mike, the two Mikes here. But I also want to underscore this idea of purpose, because I think a lot of companies today, you know, they have a mission statement, they have a vision statement. And if you're a really good company, you have values too. But you guys are talking about purpose, you're talking about strategies, and then there's also habits. It's a wonderful framework to have. And I think that while I am familiar with EOS, and actually we had a couple of guests on the show that also operate their business on the EOS platform, it may not be for everybody. So I will say that. And it may, it may be costly to have an implementer come. So some individuals that might be listening today, depending where they are in their entrepreneurial journey, they may not be ready to start EOS or they may think, okay, you know what, this is not for me or I need to do some research on it. But I do love your story about purpose. And I think that purpose wherever anyone is in their entrepreneurial journey is something that people should really focus on and really have that nailed down because that's, that. What's your, if you don't know your purpose, then why are you doing what you're doing, right? The one interesting thing I had to learn about purpose is that purpose takes time to find. Don't think you're going to sit down over a weekend and discover or understand what your purpose is. You kind of come up with different iterations of your purpose and you kind of test them out in your mind over time. It took us probably a full year to really understand and get to a point of deep internalization of what our purpose truly was. Can you share with us what your purpose statement is? 
Now, our focus is to create a better way to keep people away. Wow. When you say it, it's so eloquent and it's so it sounds so easy and so, oh yeah, that makes sense. But you're saying that it took almost a year to come to that point. Before we move on, what I wanted to follow up on is there is kind of the company purpose and the business purpose, and then there's personal purpose. And I'm, I know for me, at least, that was at one point a struggle of how do you reconcile the two and are they, do they have to be the same? Do they not? Like, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, both of you really is, does your personal purpose, does that drive the company purpose or are they different? What does that look like? I mean, I guess they can be similar. You know, we, we waited a long time as kids. And so our oldest is only two and a half. So that's been a big transformation on personal purpose. I guess I'll have to stew on that one just a little bit more. For me, I just want to make some small yet meaningfully positive impact in the world. I've kind of known that to be my purpose for almost like in a number of That's what drives me and ultimately drives my focus and moving this business forward. And I'm assuming that very that that probably reflects the way that you were brought up. Yeah, I think it probably does. I have a quick question: is is your mom still involved in the business today, or or has she kind of stepped out? Um, she's mostly stepped out. Um, she does help on certain things. Um, we have a charitable giving commission that she's a part of, um, and she's always willing to help when we need it. Um, but for the most part, she is. One of my chief babysitters <laughs> these days. Which is an extremely important role when you're yes, running a company. Chief chief child care officer. <laughs> yeah, uh, she and my mom do a lot to help us with the girls. I work part-time now since our oldest was born, but I do still work enough for I need in child care. That's so wonderful. We're, we're very fortunate that both grandmas live close by and are really and want to help, so... Absolutely. We're in the same spot and we couldn't we couldn't do what we do without that. Oh yeah. That, my so. my parents and Mike's parents are both in the Twin Cities, so we're very, very fortunate for that. I wanted to get back to what just tying up something one loose end really quickly, because Mike, you talked about you know your personal purpose being about making a difference in the world. And I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention about the amazing work that you and that the Norhart company does in terms of giving back. Can you share a little bit about your, your charitable arm in business? Yeah, we're really focused on trying to give back within the local community. And so that really started off as just, hey, how do we come together to make this happen? And the staff really started some really neat ideas all on their own. Uh, from things as small as putting little gift bags together and handing it out to all of our residents and then even the neighbors in the community. The things like uh, supporting the high school, we've done um, the scholarship program. Uh, we have high school students that come job shadow. And we've done work to support the homeless in the communities through uh, direct money, but also raising supplies. And one of my favorite stories is that we had someone who suddenly found herself homeless. She was uh, a young mom, uh, she had a daughter that was only six months old and another two years old with her. But suddenly, just one night, overnight, she didn't have a place to stay. She contacted one of her staff and the staff member put her up in a hotel room for that night on her own time. And then let us know as a company, we were able to post that on social media. It kind of exploded to the point that we had people on uh, some cover from Florida and baby clothes from Georgia and someone handcrafted a kitchen table for her. And within a minute, we had enough rent for, for several months, had our place to stay. That was not just a place to stay, but a higher furnace uh, place. It was really kind of a neat experience. What was that in? Was that in one of your, your buildings or? Yeah, we ended up placing one of our buildings. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you got you guys talked a little bit about how your mom has transitioned from being a co-founder of Norhart to now sort of being retired from the business, sort of helping out as she can, and now transitioning into probably her favorite role as chief grandma, chief child care officer. You mentioned you have two adorable young daughters. They're still right in diapers. Is that correct? (laughs) Working their way up, but not quite there. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Two and a half and your other daughter is? Just about uh, seven months. Seven months. Okay, so they're still quite young. 
Yeah. Um, hopefully they're taking good naps during Wait, the seven months. That means that is a COVID baby. Oh, she baby. was a COVID baby. You have a COVID baby. Oh my goodness. In, uh, April this year. Oh, wow. wow. April, what's April what? 16th. Oh, I'm April 19th. Um, well, congratulations on the birth of your second child, and Emma, coming into this world during this crazy time. I'm sure she brings a lot of joy. This new life is bringing a lot of joy to you guys. The good thing is she's so young that she will not remember any of this, most likely. <laughs> That's true. But the nice thing about Emma is she's a very calm, like serene baby, which is, was not my experience with my first, who was very high energy, <laughs> lots of other things. So I joked a few times, like, she's still alive in here. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I'd love to ask, like you mentioned, uh, Alyssa, you mentioned you're part-time right now. You got the two kiddos. How do you balance all that? You know, you got, you know, a fairly large company, you're a co-founder, you're obviously, you're, you're, how are you guys managing all that? Well, not a co-founder, Mike, but a co-owner, correct? Yeah, it's definitely been a, a difficult transition at times because we went from both of us working around to one of us but me still being involved. I joke that it would be easier if I didn't, if I didn't want to work anymore, I didn't want to be involved, like it'd be easier. But then I feel like I'd be giving up something I would regret later, so. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Oh, I mean, Grandmas are, are a lifesaver. You know, Mike, you mentioned something to us. You shared something with us that I want to read out loud, if that's okay. You said that you recognized, and I don't know when this turning point came, so maybe you'll share it with us you recognize that Alyssa has a different level of drive than you do and that you would push her too hard and that you felt that that wasn't right. And then you realized that you needed to let her be involved at the level that was right for her. So can you guys talk a little bit about, Mike, that realization as a husband, but also as a business owner? And Alyssa, was there a moment of friction or was it some, some just a gradual realization that you realized okay, we need to sort of take different different angles here. For me, I guess we haven't really talked a lot about this since. And for me, it was a specific day. I know that I can push way too much. And I'm just go, 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 go. And poor Alyssa, <laughs> it's hard on her. There was kind of some, Alyssa was kind of working in some financial classes. And uh, it was right at the time that uh, one of our first kids who, didn't make it, kind of learned that. And for me, I was like, okay, we're gonna get past that. But let's also be push, push, pushing. That was not giving her the space that she needed in that time. And that was an utter failure. And so it was actually kind of a day that kind of blew up on, on, blew up on my face a little bit. And I really, it was in that day and then the days that came that I, I realized that I need to let Alyssa be engaged and not engaged with as much of the business as she wants, and making that change for me to let her have the right amount of engagement, the world of difference. I've really learned a happy life is a happy life. It takes a while for uh, for us to learn that, doesn't it? I can, Mike. I, I think you're still learning that, Mike. But sorry, um, yeah, I, I not you, Mike, but my Mike. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe Mike, Kate, maybe you yeah. too. But I can definitely speak for Mike me, G me, Mike. over there. He still needs to learn that a bit. But I'm sorry, Alyssa. You were gonna say something. Oh, um, it was definitely trial by error. I think I I thought my capacity would be higher after having kids. You know, because you see everyone like, oh, I work, I have kids, I do this and that. No one talks about how hard it is. Yes, yes. You know what? I can super, super relate to that. We have a five year old daughter, and I can tell you that unequivocally, my capacity for taking on work and for getting things done and for moving projects to the finish line has diminished greatly. And you're absolutely right. I don't think that that is something that's really talked about. And our daughter was born very premature. She did have some medical needs and she spent quite a bit of time in the hospital. So when she came home, I didn't go back to work right away. In fact, I took two years off to care for her. And that was a big reason. Actually, the only reason we started our business was so that I could be the mom that I wanted to be to take care of my daughter, but also have a professional life. And I know that while I think I'm smart and while I think I'm good at my job, an employer out there might not recognize that because they'll, they'll see that 
there's a lack of productivity or I'm not getting things done fast enough, or I'm taking a lot of days off or time off to take care of my child. And I, and I knew that companies out there today that it was going to be very hard for mom with a child with medical needs to find a job and to find the kind of company balance and life balance and work-life balance that I needed and that I wanted for myself, which is why we started our company. And it sounds like at Norhart, there's a lot of that same sort of people first and family first culture that you have built in. But I can completely and totally relate to you, Alyssa, in that starting a family, it does take a lot out of you in terms of being able to be at your max level for work. And that doesn't make you a bad employee or a bad professional. That doesn't mean that you're not capable of doing the work. It just means that your priorities and your purpose have changed. Yeah. And I I would say the first year Claire was born, I really tried to make it work. I said it was part-time, but it was like part-time compared to my 80, 90 hours a week. So I was still working during the day as I could. And once she was sleeping well at night, I would work from like seven midnight and just running on fumes, just all the time. So right before Claire turned one, we decided to do a little shifting of people in the company. And we had someone who was able to take on a bunch of my work, which helped tremendously. Um, so that made it get a lot better. But as time goes on, we're doing bigger projects, we're doing more things, the things I'm responsible for, even though some of them have shrunk, others have gotten bigger. So uh, we made the decision last year that we needed another person to take on some of my stuff because um, some of my stuff just wasn't getting done. I was focused on the most important things, making sure those were done, but there's a, also a segment of things that should be done can wait, but we'd be better off if they were done and those were not getting done. Um, and then also a, a small segment was getting shifted to Mike because they just need to be done too. So we decided last year to hire another person, a higher level person to take off some of those tasks. So I think we're at a pretty good point now. You know, I feel like with the things that I do, it's still ebbs and flows. Some, sometimes they're busier than others. Um, but with those two people bringing on, it helps a lot, and they both do a great job. And I would, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know where I would be if they weren't around. So, what what are the two roles that the, those people have? As you mentioned, a higher level person is that like a COO type or uh, CFO? So I do, I I did do most of the financial related items. So he's taken that over. I also did H, HR and construction loan financing and just management operations, finances, that kind of stuff. So he took on like the higher end of those things. But then with those, there's a lot of work that comes into like, just we're our own construction company. So we take in all those invoices, we send them out, we have to submit for bank draws. So uh, Megan that we had brought on, she had worked for us already, but that we shifted to work with me. Um, she took on a lot of that and some of the HR stuff I was doing. So it sounds like, well, first of all, kudos to you guys for coming together as a couple and saying, okay, you know what? I, me, Alyssa, as a mom now, my priorities have shifted. I have to take care of our two babies. I want to be involved in the company. How can I do that to allow me to do that? So it it was clearly a a decision that you both kind of come together and talked through. And kudos to you, Mike, for supporting both the family and the business, because recognizing that Alyssa and your priorities are, are your two children, but also saying, how do we allow Alyssa to be successful in both of those roles? So making that commitment to bringing on more headcount, bringing on more employees or raising up employees from within to take on those roles, that is really wonderful. It's, it's wonderful to see that you guys have made that commitment both to each other, but also to the business and to your family. What other advice would you give to couples that are in business together, that have a business and then have children? From your experience, you know, apart from bringing on headcount or or bringing on extra staff. One of the things that I learned for myself personally, and just the way it was that I interact, is 
to try to never say no. Because like, she's good about that, pushing things that are wrong. And so I almost this in the last few years, I'm just saying yes to everything. <laughs> as much Alyssa, as- is that true? <laughs> I think so. Um, should we tell them about the great compromise of sure. 2017? Oh, oh, the great compromise of 2017. How come we didn't know about that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, it should be a big formal document somewhere. Yeah, uh, maybe. I think we did write something up, actually. We, we did. Um, might not work for some couples, but when Mike's dad got sick, uh, that night, we went to his mom's house to stay with her, and we never left. And we lived there with her for three years. And it was the right decision to do, and I would do it again. But at the end of that three years, we were figuring out where to move, what to do. I really wanted to change the scenery. I wanted to go somewhere else. Not like Seattle, although I love Seattle, but, you know, slightly different suburb, uh, but my, and d- did you have your first daughter at that time? Was she born or not no, quite yet? not yet. Okay. We were trying to start our family. It took us a little while with our uh, losses that we had, but we knew we were at a, a spot where we wanted our own space again. But Mike needs communion with every bone in his body. Yes. <laughs> so it's not that I just hate communion. It's that, again, life is short and every minute counts. And so... Throughout my whole life, I just try to maximize every minute that I have. If I'm sitting in the car, do waste of time. So that's that's my number one thing I try not to lose. You could be listening to podcasts in the car. Oh, I am. Uh, no. I listen to a lot of yeah. <laughs> Every minute, literally, it's, it's insane. It's a little over the top. It's very overwhelming. <laughs> but every minute is not wasted. And uh, so time is my number one value. And I'm willing to compromise it almost anything for time. The great compromise of 2017, as we called it, is we were kind of at a stalemate. I wanted to move a little further out. He didn't. He came to Nod and Nod. One of our own properties came up to be available. And at first, I really was like, no, no, we've done that before. We lived in one of our own apartments when we were first married. The same building our office was in. Great community. Okay. <laughs> no snow days going down the stairwell. <laughs> but... It was a good location as far as it was close to the office and this and that and the other. So then I kind of thought about like, well, if I have to live here for a while, like what, what could be some like good things about this, this and that and the other. And so we had been living like this broke college kids for years at that point. What were we at? Seven, eight years or something. And so I said, well, if we're going to live there, I would like the couch. I would, you know, like. It sounds kind of dumb at the moment. So we agreed that like we could actually like get a decent couch to sit on and a couple other things. Knowing that we were trying to have a kid new, like my traveling days would be more limited because uh, we had done a decent amount of travel. So I wanted to have the freedom to do some traveling here and there. So that's what it was, <laughs> you know? And in retrospect, it ended up being a good spot for us because um, it's really close to both of our parents close to the office, big enough for what we needed, but also like we didn't have the maintenance, good enough to snow plowing, all that kind of stuff. So that ended up being a good decision until earlier this year, I went away for a weekend and left Mike with our toddler for the weekend. And when I got back, he said something to that, you know, I think you're right. I think we do need some more space. Number two coming <laughs> in a couple months. So is there going to be a great compromise of uh, 2020 now? No, we, at, at this point, you know, we thought, well, we've been you know, married for over 10 years, together for a while or whatever, probably time to get like our own real grown-up house. So We still are living close and I'm thinking about getting a self-driving car. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we're moving a few miles, but not too far, um, hopefully in a couple weeks. That's wonderful. So big things happening in 2020, a COVID baby and now a house. That's huge. So congratulations to you guys. And that's a really good compromise. I mean, a lot of business owners, a lot of entrepreneurs sort of can sell themselves and can sell their their product or their service because they use it, right? And so you guys have firsthand use case of saying, not only do we build and manage these apartments, but we live in them too. Right. And it, I mean, it sounds kind of superficial when I explain it, like how it happens, but you know, 
And for the time Absolutely. I can relate to that because when we first got engaged, we moved in with Mike's parents for, it was for a year just to save money for a wedding and, and we needed a second car and we wanted to buy a house at the same time. So, so we, we did that and, and it was tough. It was difficult living with his parents, but it was the move at the time. And, you know, we're in the best spot that we could be today because of that decision. So I can certainly relate to that. Well, I love that you shared the great compromise of 2017 because it shows that in your relationship, and this is something that everyone listening will take away from, is, is that that give and take and, and making that compromise and making that sacrifice and saying, okay, how can both of us get what we want and get what we need and is what is best for our relationship and also best for our business? And it turned out that living in one of your own properties was not only great for the business, but also great for the relationship. So thank you for sharing that story with us. I want to like take us back to almost the beginning of the conversation because I wrote a note down. I want I don't want to forget because uh, I think it's interesting. Mike, you mentioned that you know roughly ten percent of your staff is technology focused, which, as you said, isn't really typical for a business like yours. And I also heard you say in one of the videos I, w- I watched, I think it was one of your speaking engagements, talking about your you know big, hairy, audacious goal of you know owning or managing like 160,000 units, I think, in 40 years, roughly. Connecting those two, how is that technology aspect helping toward that? What is the strategy behind all that? We want to invest in the world. Literally the best in the world of building managing quality apartments. So when you think about that, you think of like Olympian level people like Michael Phelps, for example. But could Michael Phelps have ever been best in the world at swimming if he also did soccer and hockey? And the answer is no. And so I think the more the, the most common question with this is why are we investing in technology if we actually want to invest in the world of what we're doing? And the way we think about it is this. We're not going to go wide, but we will go as deep as we need to go, create that best right end experience. So we've sold out houses, we, we had a commercial, we sold that out, we sold mini stories out, but we've doubled down on technology because when we look at the technology that was out there and the customer experience that people were having with apartments, it's not very good. It's, it's not nowhere near what it could be. Well, just for, for our listeners, like what kind of technology are we talking about here? Are we talking like the way people pay their rent? Are we talking technology within the apartments themselves or all of the above? So the best way to think about it is removing as much friction as possible in your everyday life. So it's as small as using your watch to unlock the front door all the way to your unit door. Is we're actually working on a system right now that reads. So as you're driving up to the garage door, the garage door opens before you have to stand or hit anything. It's open for you. It's on the online leasing process. We're actually just finishing up development. You can actually sign a lease, see a property in 3D in like a 3D environment, uh, see all the pictures, video walkthroughs, apply for it online, and sign a lease in something like five minutes. Wow. Was that project already in play before COVID, or is that something that you started doing because of COVID? Uh, it happened before COVID, and we doubled down as a result of COVID. It's... Being able to control your entire apartment from your phone. Uh, we do some metering, so you can actually see your energy usage on a real-time basis. So think about that. You can see, like, try, try to reduce your own cost and see how different ways actually running that in your apartment. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. The list of stuff that we're working on is incredible, and it's just a lot of little things to make your life easy. Are you are you creating like literally like a, an online dashboard where every renter in your apartment can kind of see in real time their expenses and their stats and everything is sort of controlled online? Is that is that accurate? Exactly. And they, they currently have access to a degree of that. And we have a lot of it built on the back end, but over the next few months, we'll be rolling out a lot more than I do. That is fascinating. Have you seen companies similar to yours doing things like this, or is this pretty cutting edge? This is really cutting edge. That when we're looking at places for inspiration, we don't look at apartments. And so I talk about going to different industries. We look at multi-million dollar homes in California. That's kind of a place for inspiration. Another spot that's doing, we're trying to do stuff similar is out in um, Singapore, I believe, where they have some more advanced technology usage out there too. But we're, we, we go to international shows trying to see 
what is what are people really doing on the very bleeding edge and how do we incorporate that that is fascinating that's very very awesome well we have so enjoyed this conversation we've enjoyed getting to know you and you sharing about your business um, the cutting edge work that you guys are doing to really be the best in the world and giving people a place to live. We've enjoyed getting to know about your family. Thank you so much again for going so personally on, on a topic that is still very raw for you guys. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for allowing us to be part of that. Um, we've learned about your beautiful children and how you guys make that work and how you have come together as a couple, but also as co-owners in the business and said, how do we prioritize the business, but also prioritize our family? How do we maximize the time that Alyssa needs to be the best mom that she can be and the best co-owner in the business? So you've shared strategies with us on that. Thank you again. You kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What are or is the next big project that you're working on, both for work and for your personal lives? Um, I guess personal, we are moving into our first real house here, hopefully in the next, before the end of the month. So that, that's the big... That's a big one, yeah. Business. The biggest project deeper in our company is recognizing that... In order to be best in the world, we need people in our company who are best in the world. And so we've been fighting and improving this concept called talent density. It's the caliber of people that are within the organization. And so that's been a nominal change to our organization. What, what was that term that you used, Mike? Talent density. Talent density. Okay. I stole that from uh, the CEO of Netflix. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so we're working on increasing our talent density, getting the right, and, and just really phenomenal people in here. It's been neat. It, I could tell you about the people here. It's just, you would kind of blow your socks off. But another big project we're working on is now we're just starting construction on a 355 unit apartment complex in the North Metro. That's one of the largest in the city. So that's exciting. That's awesome. These are wonderful projects and very exciting. We live in the suburbs and we live in a house, but certainly we'll keep our eyes and ears on the pulse to see what you guys are doing. So next question that we like to ask is, what advice would you offer other spouses that are looking to start a business together? Clear about your expectations and realistic. I think I tend to be a little bit more of the realist and Mike's a little bit more, but we can do anything we want, whatever, let's go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I think laying out your expectations, like, okay, how does this work? Especially if you have kids, especially if you're leaving jobs with good salaries, can you make this work without getting paid for a while? You know, just the logistical kind of things as well. And don't be afraid to readjust your expectations when you need to. Because I think sometimes you start off with a set and you just keep to that, but Things happen in life, and you have to be open and willing to adjust those as you go. I'd say as you, as you're moving forward, there are points of friction, and it's easy to maybe let those points of friction build up in your mind and become a more and more painful experience. And you need to fight against that and openly communicate. Yeah, initially that communication of that point of friction is really hard, but doing that enough and regularly, it becomes easier and you end up building a much stronger relationship than you have. Those are both very, very good points tonight. And I like, Alyssa, what you said about communicating your expectations and also not being afraid to change those expectations as you progress in the relationship and, and in your business. All right, so last question here. Alyssa, you're going to answer this about Mike, and Mike, you will answer this about Alyssa. What is the one thing or quality that each of you bring to your business and to your life that you couldn't do without? Well, we do make good uh, balances to each other, certainly. I think Mike is just kind of that never-ending, like, energy and passion, like, plowing through, like, no matter what. I think we live in an age where a lot of times it's easy to just give up. Mike just doesn't do that. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it 100%. For me, it's, it's obvious, and that is 
she is sincerely invasive and people-focused person. I have quite honestly ever met, and I think the people around her are the same place. And it's a really nice thing to have because that's not who I am. And I really appreciate having that job. And that person would say, hey, Mike, you're not being very nice. <laughs> you step it up. Well, Mike and Alyssa, we think you are both the nicest people we've had on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And your passion is very contagious and very inspiring. If we have listeners out there and they're looking to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Social media or email? Or, uh, it's my social email or social media accounts are just Mike. Most of my handles and my Facebook is Mike Askeen. Okay, excellent. And they can visit you on your website, norhart.com. Okay, excellent. Well, Mike and Alyssa, thank you so much for being part of this show with us. And we look forward to rooting your success on the sidelines. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Well, that was a fascinating conversation. We love talking to couplepreneurs who have built successful businesses. And one of the keys to a successful business is effective marketing. Luckily, Gabby and I run a B2B digital marketing agency called Proofpoint Marketing. Our team specializes in driving profitable revenue for technology and manufacturing companies by diving deep into customer insights. We really strive to understand the customer. We build out the ideal customer profile and personas. And using that, we create highly targeted demand generation and performance marketing campaigns. We are offering a free consultation for our listeners. This isn't just a sales call, and it isn't us simply giving you a canned automated audit report. We are going to do our due diligence prior to the call. The plan is to talk about real marketing issues your organization is facing and discuss potential solutions. Head on over to proofpoint.marketing and get in touch. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixing Business with Pleasure. We hope you'll join us next week as we feature another pair of co-founders who are also lovers and are proving that business and pleasure really do mix well together. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.